he's an interesting dude that I'm going to keep my eyes on, see how much playing time he gets, and see if he can work his way up to uh, to more of a snap count. I don't think the game's over. Welcome to Triple Zeros, the anti-hot take sports show. I'm your host, Josh Buckhalter. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports. Website is ClockerSports.com. And the email address is ClockerSports at gmail.com. And, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at 30spod. That's the number three zeros and pod. We are in a really interesting spot uh, in the sports world. NBA is still, you know, in their little dead zone until they get ready for training camp. And the NFL just wrapped up the preseason. But they've created this quasi uh, bye week of sorts with uh, only three preseason games. So now teams are kind of taking their advantage and and resting up. But that leaves me restless. And as you know, when I get restless, I have to bring in other people to help me talk about the stuff that I want to talk about. And I want to talk about the Bears because they got uh, a lot of headlines this week for a lot of different reasons. And honestly, they've kind of been in the news uh pretty consistently this summer. So um, I brought in a very special guest, Alex Shapiro of NBC Sports Chicago. Follow him on Twitter at NBC, or I'm sorry, at Alex Shapiro NBCS. I, I had this written down and I still read it wrong. That's okay because Alex is going to forgive me because he's a great guy. Alex, let's get right to it, man. Um, first and foremost, I want to ask, what's been your impressions of this regime compared to the last regime? First and foremost. Outcondition everybody and we're going to work harder than everybody, right? Every single coach says that on planet earth. But with Matt Eberflus, the, I mean, it looks like that is actually the case. The pace of practice has been crazy. The accountability. I mean, that's something we see, right? It's not like if they screw up a rep. It's not like, ah, we'll fix that in film later. They're like, nah, do that again. Line up again and do that again. So it, making guys do pushups. We've seen them. Yeah. There was one instance where. You know, the defense beat the offense in the red zone. Matty Rufus made the entire offense do push-ups. The, that type of accountability, that type of pace of practice makes me feel like, oh, Matt Eberflus means it when he says, get your track shoes because we're going to run. We're going to have the best conditioning in the NFL. Things of that nature where they're just going to play fundamental football. It's like scheme is secondary, right? With Matt Nagy, it was scheme was everything, right? It was all his offense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, nah, don't worry about scheme. Just just play as hard as you can play, and the scheme will take care of itself. It's funny you say that because that's honestly one of the things I said after so many Bears games under the Matt Nagy um, uh, tenure was just stop trying to be the smartest guy in the room all the time. For the most part, a lot of teams are running very similar things, right? There's variations off of that, but the, you're not you're not reinventing the wheel. So I really do find this approach refreshing of just go out there and exec, out-execute your opponent. I think that's going to beat more opponents than, you know, trying to outthink a guy who has just as much film on you as you do on them, which is why we saw that success um, to, to begin. What has been the biggest difference, though? Right. Not just in general. What has been the like the number one thing? I know you said they 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 run practice different, but like what if you had to say was like the the signature difference between these two? 
it's hard to tell because we haven't seen Matty Rafluse coach a game for real, for real yet. But for what we've seen so far, the biggest difference truly in my mind is that Matty Rafluse wants to be the CEO of this team. He wants to be the head coach on anything else. Matt Nagy, you know, it was always like he's calling plays and then he gives up calling plays and he starts calling plays again. And he was just really, really involved in the weeds of the offense. Matty Berflus is not that way. He goes, "Uh uh-uh, Alan Williams is running the defense. Alan Williams is going to call the plays. I need to be the overseer to make sure everything is working okay. And he basically said, like, if I'm calling plays on defense, I probably can't play pay good enough attention to say, oh, can we challenge that? Oh, what's going on with this? You know, I need to manage the game. So to me, that is, that's the biggest difference. They've been very, uh, effusive in their praise of each other, which is what you would expect from a new regime that comes in together. But how has it been kind of hearing maybe the, the, the takeover of the hits principle, right? The buy-in in general of every coach from every level has seemed to have won over their guys. How unique is that? Um, I'm not sure that it's unique to start. But what I will say what's notable is Alan Williams, you know, didn't sugarcoat anything. He goes, we're going to have obstacles. It's not for everybody. We're not going to have 100% buy-in. We didn't really see that. It seemed like guys did get on board until Jalen Johnson was very frank and said, uh, yeah, I was not a hits guy yeah. when we when we first started. I was like, this is hokey or whatever. Or he just wanted to see it. He wanted to see it before he fully was drinking the Kool-Aid. And then as things went on, went along, he realized, yo, I better get on board because otherwise I'm not going to play. And you're starting to see that in practice too, right? We're seeing guys running, 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 running to the ball, swarming to the ball and tip drills. You know, when, when the ball gets tipped, I feel like the Bears defense almost always comes down with it. If a dude misses on a tackle, there's always somebody there to clean it up maybe one yard later. So, I think they're starting to see the results and I think, I think the buy-in is, I think the buy-in is there. I don't, I don't know how rare that is. I think most guys want to give their new coach a chance, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, Hey, new guy, we want to play for our new guy. Now it'll be interesting if the bears have a terrible start and they are, you know, three and 10 or whatever. So just a a bad season. It'll be interesting to see if they are still playing with that same intensity. I do. So will, will that message get old or whatever? You know what I mean? No, I, I'm 100% on board with that. I, I do find it interesting because I asked when they come in, you, like you said, you had Jalen Johnson, you had Tevin Jenkins kind of get, you know, the wrong, Roquan. But despite all that, the majority of the people are buying in. And even those guys have come around for the most part. Roquan got his button camp, whatever that situation is, what it is, but he's there. And I know it may not be unique, but I do think that after the, the, I guess mental beatdown that was the last season under Matt Nagy. This has kind of been refreshed because it's a very upfront approach, right? It's very direct. Hey, you have to work your butt off. And then not only that, but they're not just saying it. They're, they're showing that if you do it, it'll pay off a la Tevin Jenkins. I want to focus on that because there was a lot of rumors about him being traded, but in camp we were seeing in practice, we were seeing him running with the ones. So, how did you kind of, you know, approach that on the outside saying, hey, this guy's still on the block, but then on the inside, you've seen him running with the starters. How did you kind of approach his uh, – where do you put him now? Do you think he's safe? Yeah, I do. I I don't believe he will be traded unless 
Brian Poles is blown away with some sort of trade deal. You know, if he gets a second-round pick for Tevin Jenkins, maybe consider it. I don't know that he's gotten a second-round pick for Tevin Jenkins, though. Here's the thing. I think when Tevin Jenkins was running with the twos and then the threes at right tackle, when he was hurt, there was probably some truth to those trade rumors, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe Ryan Poles, when he says, you know, I wasn't making the calls, but obviously I'm going to pick up the phone because that's his job. That's his job to pick up the phone and see what he can get for guys, you know? Um, But now that he really has kind of cemented himself as the starting right guard, now we'll see. There's some new guys coming in, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Alex Leatherwood, that makes things a little bit more interesting. I still think even if Alex Leatherwood is – you're starting right guard. I still think having Tevin James around is is valuable because they're not very deep. They're, they're kind of thin on the offensive line. So I think Tevin Jenkins, you know, is on the second year of his deal. You're not paying him much money. I think it's worth keeping him around on a cheap deal for competition purposes, depth purposes, etc. So to, to summarize, I kind of rambled for a little bit there. Totally I fine. think I think a trade is unlikely. Mm-hmm. But not totally, not totally out of the woods, you know, because like, like I said, if, if some team is desperate and they make Ryan Poles an offer he can't refuse, you know, right? Why wouldn't Ryan Poles? Why wouldn't Ryan Poles ship him off? If, if it's truly a deal that blows him away, but I, I don't know that he's going to get a deal that blows him away that will send Tevin Jenkins packing. No, I think I agree with you. Like it would have to take something that, that would knock his socks off, and that's probably not coming for a guy that's still trying to prove himself in the league. You brought up Alex Leatherwood, and I do want to talk about that. Where do you see him fitting in in this grand scheme? Because he's a guy who's got some versatility, but we've seen this group work together, again, the majority of camp, and we know how important continuity is among the front five. So where do you see Leatherwood fitting in? Uh I'm not sure, to be honest. Now, it's interesting. Leatherwood told us he practiced at right tackle with his first practice. Now, Larry Borum, I have some questions about Larry Borum. A lot of focus is on Tevin Jenkins. For whatever reason, Larry Borum kind of gets a slide, but I have questions about Larry Borum and pass protection, too. I think he's a smart guy, and he knows his keys, and he knows his assignments, and I think he's good in run blocking. But in pass pro, I still have questions. So they might see him as a right tackle. Now, talking to some people who follow the Raiders – um, and, and followed him more closely. And, you know, all the draft work from before last year seemed like most people see him as a guard and not a tackle. Um, so whether he is the heir apparent to Cody Whitehair one day, you know, who knows how much Cody Whitehair has in the tank. Right. Um, so whether he's on the left side, whether he's right guard, whether he's right tackle, I don't know. But it seems like most people see him as a guard. Real quick aside, the Michael Schofield experience. Wasn't much of an experience, man. (laughs) (laughs) Him and Riley Reef arrived with such a hint of optimism, right, for such an inexperienced group. And then it kind of became clear that maybe the young guys are just better. And Schofield in particular had a rough go because I remember watching him line up in practice and seeing him get blown up and saying, man, that's probably not a good sign. And then first preseason series he got blossom like, yeah no there it is that's that's what i saw what was it a surprise that he ended up getting cut like even just for veteran experience or did you kind of think that that's that's probably for the best after watching what you and i both saw in practice and what you and i both saw in the preseason i mean like you said you were there you saw it 
Uh, no, I was not surprised. In fact, in, in my depth chart projections, I had Michael Schofield getting cut because he, he didn't make the grade. Now, if you would ask me when they signed him, would I be surprised if he didn't make the team? I would have been shocked. I mean, we were all talking. Everybody was like, Oh, the Bears found a starting tackle and a starting right guard. And all the problems on the offensive line are solved. Meanwhile, Schofield's off the team and Riley Reef is a swing tackle at best. You know, it's kind of, it is kind of crazy, right? That you have, <laughs> it just shows how little people really know. And even like Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham, who are former offensive linemen, are supposed to be so great at evaluating offensive linemen. They bring in these two dudes. Neither of them can win a starting job. Um, although I will say I got to give them credit. And that's like maybe an unfair shot to take because they're bringing in guys to compete. So that might have been an unfair shot that I took at the two of them. I will give them credit for not saying we brought these dudes in and you have to give them an extended look. You know, Riley Reef, they signed him to a pretty lucrative deal to come here. Yeah, 13 million? Yeah, I think it's kind of incentive laden. I'm not like super familiar with all the details of the of the contract but it wasn't a case where it's like hey we paid all this money to bring this dude in he's gotta he's gotta get more reps with the ones to see if he can cut it there was none of that as soon as it became clear that neither of them were going to win a job (laughs) that's so crazy to think about uh just in comparison to how it was when they got there um like the whole offensive line tevin jenkins was about to be traded uh, like you said, you had a starting left tackle and right guard and Reef and, and Schofield. Um, Sam Mustafer was on his way out, and only thing that you can count on was Cody Whitehair. Whitehair. Well, along with Whitehair, Mustafer's probably been. Um, I'll say that left side was has been pretty consistent. Uh, Mustafer's been solid though at center, filling in for Lucas Patrick. Tevin Jenks has found possibly a new home at right guard, and then you have the right tackle situation, which is where I probably see uh, Leatherwood sliding in uh, more than anywhere else because I too have some questions about Larry Borm just because um, I don't know if I've seen anything that that would say he's distinguished himself in that position. He may not have lost it, but I don't know if he's necessarily like locked it down by any stretch as, as opposed to a guy like Tevin, who's maybe being graded on a curve because of where he's coming from and what he's, you know, uh, position change and all that kind of stuff. But I think Jenkins has stood out more. Borm has kind of just been a guy, and if you can find another player in Leatherwood who was a a, a highly touted player coming into last year's draft, let's not act like because he got cut by the Raiders that people weren't, you know, after this guy. So um, I'm with you on that, that that Borm probably is the one that needs to keep his eyes open um, or keep his, you know, eyes looking behind him because it just doesn't seem like he's been able to lock that down. Um, Speaking of locking that down, the wide receiver position, right? We're going to stay on offense. Bears had, what, three wide receivers for a portion of practice last week. What are you expecting from this group? Are you are you still surprised they haven't tried to do anything else with it, or do you think that they can surprise? Yeah, it's tough because we don't know the medical stuff with Tajay Sharp. And, I mean, Byron Pringle, we haven't seen him in a long time. But you have to imagine they are at least a little confident that Tajay Sharp will be there week one. And Tajay Sharp looked pretty good, had a good rapport with. Tajay's out for the season. They, oh, I've got it confused. They, they put, put him out for the season. season. Yeah, they, that, real quick, you're thinking of uh, Dante Pettis just came back. Uh, Nikhil Harry's on IR. Or did Nikhil Harry had the surgery. Yeah, Nikhil Harry. They put him on the returning IR. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I got it all mixed it up. It's okay. Sharp hurt my heart too, man. That was my guy in Kent, man. He was he Tajay. Was, yeah, man. He was doing some things, but then he got he hurt. was doing some things. Um, Dante Pettis is back, so he was one of the three healthy dudes. Right. right. So it's gonna be Darnell Mooney, right? <laughs> Darnell Mooney is obviously the guy. And here, here's what I'll say. I had doubts about whether Darnell Mooney could be a wide receiver one coming into this season. I no longer have those doubts. He, he's a legit playmaker. His route running is real sharp. He is very good at creating separation. And I think the Luke Getze scheme is also really good at getting guys wide open. Now, moving off Darnell Mooney, who is, in my opinion, like, okay, not worried about Darnell Mooney. I'm going to say Equinemius St. Brown is maybe the most surprising guy out of training camp for me. Uh, I had low expectations just because we hadn't seen anything, right? I mean... He hadn't produced a ton in Green Bay. He didn't have a ton of opportunities, but like he couldn't beat out Alan Lazard. He couldn't beat out MVS. There were these dudes that he just couldn't get past in that passing attack. So I was like, I don't know really what to expect with Equinemia St. Brown. I think he has been really, really solid. I think he's been a great big-bodied target for Justin Fields. To me, he knows how to use his body in one-on-one situations in the red zone. You know, he understands how to use his big body leverage to come down with the ball. And you can tell Justin Fields trusts him because Equinemius St. Brown was brought here in part because he knows this offense, right? He knows Luke Getze. He knows what to expect. And you can tell he he is in the right places at the right times. And Justin Fields can trust him to be in the right places at the right times. And they've developed a bond. I think they've a hundred percent, like from, from OTAs to now have grown a lot as a wide receiver quarterback duo, where I would not be surprised if he's the number three pass catcher behind, you know, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, and then Equinemius St. Brown. Now you might have like a combination of running backs, like maybe, Tristan Ebner plus David Montgomery plus Khalil Harbert, like maybe that is more than Equinemius St. Brown, if you know what I'm saying. But I think he's been really solid. Beyond that, though, it's like, whoa. Amir Smith-Marset, he has, what, five career catches? Maybe he'll prove me wrong, just like Equinemius St. Brown did, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of the same scenario. Um, but, yeah, what, they have four healthy dudes now? They just need dudes to get health. That's... It's surprising that there's so few bodies in that room, but I think the the thing that surprised me about St. Brown, and he actually spoke to it, and like you said, he's always in the right spot. He told us, he said, you know, it, it's drawn up one way, but when you get out there and execute it, it's something different, and you got to know how to, you know, where to be, and that that has been a big benefit to him because we were talking about it throughout campus how there just didn't seem to be the connection with anybody. Nobody was standing out for a little while there, and then his knowledge apparently – uh, of the CEO has helped him get uh, that connection with Fields, and then Mooney's had get that connection with Fields already. So I'm I'm very I like you. I'm impressed with how it's come along. Um, I do still want to see it in game action, obviously, but I I do. I do think that there is some potential to surprise some people compared to what they were saying. You know, this is the worst receiving core. It was just unproven. Um, Byron Pringle, like I said, we haven't seen him in forever. Um, and then Dante Pettis is like he. Dante Pettis, uh, uh, Tasha Jones. Uh, Vela- Remember Velas Jones? So that's my last question. So I'm gonna leave him off for a second because I got a question. I have a very Velas Jones specific question. Um, but T- Dante Pettis is like the next guy in that that. Oh, this week this guy is showing out. I I want to know who the third guy is gonna be because 
St. Brown and Mooney, I, I'm pretty confident those are going to be the top two just because of what they've been able to do in camp. But we don't know beyond it, like you said. And is it going to be Pettis? Because everybody else behind that has got serious injury history concerns. And so when you're trying to get Fields acclimated to a new scheme and you're trying to get some some positive things going, it's really hard when you're cycling guys. And I asked about that, you know, like how do you how are you maintaining with so many bodies in and out? And it's it's it just has to be a big challenge. But he yeah, said it was a good thing, right? Didn't he tell you like it's a did. good thing because like That's now I have a connection with Come on, <laughs> we all know that you don't. We know how particular where St. Brown came from. Aaron Rodgers is is a great example. He won't even throw to a guy if he's if, once you drop it once, you're probably not going to see the ball for the next four or five games. That, that you need that connection. So I mean, I respect. What was that? Who said that? Trevor. I respect that. You know, take on it, but we know that you they would rather build build some kind of rapport with the guys. So, um, but let's talk about Bayless Jones. Drafted to be the weapon, right? X Factor, the the kick returner, if nothing else. He's been hurt. And I mean like a lot. He he got in what? One preseason game and then was right back on the shelf. What are we to make of Bayless Jones? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. He's so intriguing, though. He's this toolsy upside dude where you feel like he's a guy, just get him the ball in space. I feel like you want to use him on the wide receiver screens. We've seen those wide receiver screens that have looked pretty good. The tight end screens look pretty good, right? That has Valus Jones written all over it. The end arounds, you're probably going to see him in the run game. You're going to see him on slants. You're going to see him in play action. Except the only thing is we haven't really seen him that much. So it's hard to say. It's hard to say how much of an offensive impact he can make. He looks really good in special teams, though. I mean, special teams, he already showed, yeah, all right, I can do this. I wish I could tell you. I love that. I love in your intro where you go, it's the anti-hot take show. <laughs> First of all, I love that. Great intro. I, I, I should have brought up the intro earlier. Great <laughs> intro. I love this is the anti-hot take show, and that is my anti-hot take for you. Is I don't really know because we haven't seen it, but you can project it. You can project. You've seen the tools. We've seen it in practice. Get the man healthy and then get him the ball in space. And and let's see what the ceiling is. Is there any concern that they have all of these plans and he's been so hurt already? Like, <laughs> you guys want to do this many things. You're Maybe that's not the best idea. Yeah, he was in. He was out. He was back in, then he was cramping, and then we didn't see him for uh, – I, I don't think we've seen him since. It looked like just a little cramp when he was getting stretched after individual drills. Uh, so, yeah. Yes, there is some concern. Now, right, it's like every day I, I kind of look over by to the bikes, and we're like, hey, oh, yep, Velas Jones still by the bikes. <laughs> you know, and I, I know Matty Refluce will say day-to-day until it's week-to-week, week, but, man, these day-to-days – Next thing you know, a guy's on IR. Yeah. Right, exactly. Tajay Sharp was day-to-day until he reminded me that he had a season-ending ribbon. Oh, yeah. By the way, he won't be playing the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. Day-to-day, though. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, yes. Rookies especially need that training camp time. Need that practice time. Matty Refluce has made that very clear. You know, with players like even Kyler Gordon, when Kyler Gordon missed a little bit of time. Jaquan Brissett missed a lot of time. He's like, yeah, man, it's no good when our rookies miss time. Now, are they talented enough to overcome it? We'll see. But you you want them out there practicing and, and developing that rapport with Justin Fields, like we like we've said. Mm-hmm. 
is before we switch gears to talk about the defense, what are your thoughts on Ted Phillips stepping down? Retiring. Not just stepping down, because that usually is the, the door open. My man's stepping away. He's going. Now nah, he's retiring. Um, I was surprised. Put it that way. And I feel like we got to assess the two Ted Phillips. The football operations Ted Phillips, tough, man. Probably should have happened before. You know, he, he stepped away from the football side this year, right? When they hired Ryan Poles, that's when they reorganized it and said, actually, Ryan Poles ain't going to report to Ted Phillips. Ryan Poles is going to report directly to George McCaskey. That probably should have happened during the Ryan Pace era. Um, because, I mean, the, the, he, the team was not good enough on the field. Off the field, different story. He really did help get the Bears get their money in order. Uh, deserves credit for rebuilding the bridges between Daly and the McCaskey family and the Bears. Um, I'm sure you've read the Dan Pompey article. If you haven't, check it out. It's a pretty good, you know, a, it goes into his career, his time with the Bears, pretty in-depth. They call the Soldier Field renovations his crowning achievement. I don't know how you could see it as a crowning achievement <laughs> since it's the smallest stadium in the NFL. When it was built. When it was built, they did, they, it wasn't ready to do anything with. So Yeah, there there are problems with Soldier Field. They've all been noted. We don't have to go over all of it. Um, however, I will say, if... The Arlington Heights thing, which we all think it, it's happening, right? Arlington Heights is happening. If they knock that out of the park and they build an awesome stadium and they have this awesome Bears World experience with the hotels and the casino and the restaurants and the this and that, if they knock that out of the park and really get it right, I think, I think Ted Phillips will have done a great thing for the Chicago Bears. Because that is a game changer for a franchise. That's a game changer for an organization. I mean, you're talking about the value of an organization going through the roof. So there's a lot of different things about Ted Phillips, president, CEO. And I think you have to kind of look at them all one by one. But again, circling back to the on the field products, obviously they were not good enough under the under the Ted Phillips era. It's almost like a separation of church and state, right? You kind of just keep him apart. You really, he got the job because of how he did his his business, and that helped him. And so, yeah, it kept him there way too long. Um, and you answered the next question was how you feel about Arlington Heights. It is a game changer. I agree with you. That is something that every sports franchise, ownership group, whatever you want to call it, should strive for. I don't know why you would want to have your your place of residence, uh, residence, as it were. At the whim of somebody else, right? Some, and we know how the city of Chicago operates, so let's, <laughs> that is what it is. Um, let's focus on the defense now. Roquan Smith, where are you on the, is he gonna be here long term? Is this something that's just, hey, this year and they're gonna try to do something to move him out next year? I think he's gonna be here for two years, uh, because. Franchise tag. Yep. So we got two years of Roquan Smith in Chicago. Beyond that, anybody's guess. And I think, I think he's going to play this year. I know there have been questions like, will he He'll play? have this tightness? You can't accrue, right? NFL, you need, it's, what is it, half the season? I know they did that with Eddie Goldman they were discussing. But if he's hurt, ah, right. then, right. right. So if, if he hurt. comes up with all of these soft <laughs> tissue injuries, then he could still 
get the the time so that his contract doesn't pull. I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think that necessarily helps him. I think the the key for Roquan Smith becoming a Chicago Bear long term is the forced fumbles, is the takeaways. That's the one thing he's really missing. That's the key to being a Matt Eberflus guy, a Matt Eberflus linebacker. I mean, we know how important the takeaways are. And the forced fumbles is really the one thing that he lags behind. So we, we know he's a, he's a fantastic linebacker and he is so fast and he can clean up tackles, right? And I mean, one of the best tacklers in the NFL. To me, it's going to come down to the takeaways, whether he's here long term, but I fully expect him to play this year. And then also I fully expect the franchise tag. And he's already said, yo, you want a franchise tag? Me? Cool. That's going to be a huge paycheck. I'm here for it. So I, th- I think minimum two years of Roquan Smith. I think one of the best things that came out of that, you know, whole uh, saga was them was Ryan Paul saying, "Hey, Roquan's a professional man. Like he's gonna get in, he's gonna strap up, and we're gonna play football." And that's like you're saying. He's like, "Okay, franchise, whatever. We'll go about it." He's gonna keep betting on himself. Um, I do think that I agree with you that he needs to take was I, I pointed that out many times. Like, well, the reason why they don't want to pay you is because they haven't seen you turn the ball over like other guys do. Um, I am interested to see how being in this scheme helps him do that though, because I, he has a skill set for, it. he's got the, the instincts, he's got the, the, uh, quick twitch to get to the ball before he gets there. But yeah, let's see you disrupt a little bit, a few more plays. Um, what did you think about the, the idea of having him shift out of that mic spot? Do you think that that kind of hurt him with this or do you think it's going to help him because it'll allow him to, to flow to the ball quicker? Nah, it, as soon as, Matty Refluce was hired and we were kind of looking into four, three and how the guys fit in. My two first thoughts were, Ooh, Eddie Goldman might be gone because they don't really need that, that double team absorbing nose tackle. And wow. Roquan Smith is going to be really fun to watch at the will. I immediately thought he was going to be the will linebacker just because he is so fast and he's so athletic that, you know, that's where you want them. Mm-hmm. Just running free to the ball and blowing stuff up. So, yes, I think he will be a wonderful Will linebacker. And I think Nick Morrow is a great Mike. I mean, I think that could be a home run, maybe the best free agent signing um, of the offseason. I think they've made a lot. I think they've made several. I mean, we've seen Ryan Poles. It was basically his MO this offseason is take guys who, for whatever reason, whether it's injuries, whether it's opportunity, haven't fully proven themselves, but have a lot of upside and high ceilings and giving these guys prove it deals to, to say, Hey, I'm deserving of earning a contract extension and being a cornerstone of the Chicago Bears. To me, that's Nicholas Morrow. Right. If he can stay healthy, I think Nick Morrow could be a cornerstone Chicago Bears dude. Very similar to what Danny Trevathan was for Ryan Pace. Remember how huge that was? Um, I forget. It was it was Danny Trevathan and Jarrell Freeman, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. Jarrell Freeman did not pan out, no. obviously, yeah, for a variety her, of reasons. Yeah, her PDs, wasn't yes. it? Um, Danny Trevathan was that dude. So obviously not every free agent signing is going to pan out uh, this first year. Byron Pringle looks like, you know, he can't get on the field. We'll see. We'll see. When he was playing, he it, he didn't really have that connection with Justin Fields yet. Now maybe he turns it around. It's a long season. There's a lot of football to go. 
But right now, after the summer, it looks like, oh, yeah, Nick Nick Morrow is that guy. And here's the thing. The two of them together, Morrow and Roquan Smith, they are so fast. They're gonna, they got to be like one of the fastest linebacking duos in the country. And since they are each so talented, they can do some like match coverage, swap stuff. Allen Williams can have a lot of fun working with Nick Morrow and Roquan Smith. Speaking of fun, the, the, the fun in the round of defense has been in the secondary this summer. Um, with the young guys, Jacon Brisker and Kyler Gordon, we weren't going to, we're not going to get too deep into those two because I think we've talked about them a lot. Let's talk about that other side though, right? You got, uh, Kyler's been playing in the slot a lot. Do you think you're going to see a lot of Vildor on the outside or are you going to see more Kyler than we've been seeing? How concerned are you, I guess, would be my question of the spot opposite of Jalen Johnson. I'm not that concerned. I do think certainly early on we're going to see a bunch of Kindle Builder. Now, Josh Blackwell comes into town. I asked Alan Williams about him, and he was basically like, yeah, we'll see where he fits into this competition. He wouldn't say outside, inside. Uh, I think they just kind of want to see what they got in him first. But that was a waiver claim that the Bears just made. And then I spoke with Thomas Graham, who is finally healthy. Right. I mean, as soon as cutdown day happened, I don't know if it's fortunate timing, unfortunate timing or what. But as soon as he doesn't make the 53 man roster and is put on the practice squad, he finally makes it back at practice. But so I was talking with Thomas about like, yo, how, how the last 48 hours been? It's been a tough summer for you. And he's like, dude, in my mind, this is a short term thing. In my mind, the, the way I'm looking at it is. I was I was working as the starting nickel during OTAs at times. And that's where I want to get to. That's I, I just want to be healthy, get in practice, and show them I'm still that guy that you saw. Am I still working with you? I am getting I'm getting choppy. Am I still no, no, with you, man? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, you're you you got me. I'm just I'm just thinking about because they, they were high on him. He's missed so much time. But I, I do see a path that if he shows out in practice that he can ascend quickly because there's not a lot of of depth at that spot, right? You got you got Jalen, you got Kyler, but then like you said, are we sure that Vildor is going to hold up? Here's what I'll say about Kendall Vildor: I think he has an opportunity to succeed in this particular defense more than he did last season. I think it's because they're going to play a lot more zone. And what Allen Williams and Matt Eberflus ask of their cornerbacks is to really put their nose in the pile, and contribute in run defense. They need to make open field tackles. They need to stop ball carriers. And I think Kendall Vildor is actually very good at that. I think he's a really good open field tackler. We saw in the preseason game, he blew up some sort of screen for a tackle for a loss. In those regards, this defense can actually play to his strengths. Now, he was beat once or twice in the preseason game, but again, playing zone where he can keep his eyes forward, keep his eyes on the quarterback, I think he can have more success, and especially, you know, if they play with that outside leverage and just funnel into the teeth of the defense, funnel into Nick Morrow and Roquan Smith, I don't know that it will be as tough of a season for Kendall Vildor if he does remain on the outside, but I do fully expect other guys to compete. You know, that that's... That's an area I've got circled as, hey, is is this an opportunity for somebody to win this job in the early parts of the season? You know, if Kendall Vildor isn't getting it done, that could be an area where they make a change, right? If Thomas Graham comes back healthy and they feel really good about him in the slot, do you just move him to the slot and have Tyler Gordon 
move outside. There's a lot of opportunities for them to move stuff around. So not sure, but I, I, I think there are reasons to be optimistic. I do not think it's going to be nearly as bad as the pass defense was last season. Are you concerned with the pass rush outside of uh, Robert Quinn? Hmm. Travis Gibson, I think, needs to take another step. We've seen him, and he's developed a whole lot. But if you are relying on him to be your number two dude, I mean, there were there were times where he flat out got dominated in the preseason. Um, Justin Jones, <laughs> when Justin Jones has had the had the opportunity to put pads on and disrupt, woo! I mean, he's been. He's been another guy who I thought, you know, has been better than I expected. He's been really, really good. And then I'm really intrigued with Armand Watts, who's another guy that the Bears just claimed. Angelo Blackson, I think, has been solid. But Angelo Blackson is another guy who's been in and out and in and out and in and out with injuries. Armand Watts is, you know, Kyrus Tonga was like that Eddie Goldman, just that I'm going to soak up double teams. I'm going to stuff the run at the line of scrimmage. Armand Watts is more of a backfield penetrator. And he he's an interesting dude that I'm going to keep my eyes on, see how much playing time he gets and see if he can work his way up to uh, to more of a snap count at that shade tech. And then he was telling me that he can play three tech, too. He's like, dude, I can play three tech. But if they want me to play that shade tech more cool, I can do that, too. So from the outside, yeah, maybe yes. But Robert Quinn, I mean, we didn't even talk about Robert. I know you said outside Robert Quinn, but Robert Quinn is still that guy. I mean, he is still that guy because that's another thing that you and I have each seen at practice. He's got that. He's got that unnatural bend that nobody else can do. And he's flying sometimes. Yeah, like it's crazy. And whatever. He just still looks like that guy. He's he looks like the Robert Quinn of last season, not the Robert Quinn of 2020. I think one thing that we've kind of stumbled across here is that there's a lot of competition, even after training camp, heading into the season. But one spot that I think they want to, that we all hope that they've locked down is quarterback. Is Justin Fields that guy? Oh, yeah. Justin Fields to me, yeah, he's got that it factor. He's got that superstar factor. I think Justin Fields will go as far as the offensive line will carry him. We've seen, I mean, we saw it during that Browns game. When Justin Fields had time to throw, he was nearly perfect. And here's the other thing I really – that makes me really optimistic about Justin Fields this season. I think Luke Getze also gets it. <laughs> Getze gets it. We've seen the play-action rollouts. We've seen the move in the platform. You know, getting him outside the pocket so that the it's a little bit easier on the offensive line. And he has been so good. He's been so good at those things. So, to me, we have to see it consistently. We've seen the flashes. We know he's got the it factor. He's got talent out the wazoo. And I think he's also a guy who just makes every on the everybody on the field better. I want to see it for... Full 60 minutes, and then I want to see it for another full 60 minutes, and then I want to see it for another full 60 minutes. You know what I mean? It's it's like, okay, now now show it to me over and over and over and over. But I do think he's that guy. I do think he's got he's got it factor. He's got dude qualities. So what are your expectations for this season before we get you going? I'm taking the over on the Bears. I know everybody is really down on them as a team. And so it's like, oh, man, you're going to be the worst team in the NFL. <laughs> They are they are clearly not the worst team in the NFL. They played the no. Seattle Seahawks, and they were obviously much better than the Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> right? 
I mean, like, the Seahawks are going to be bad. The uh, Jets are going to be bad. I'm not buying that the Jets are somehow world beaters because they, quote-unquote, won the draft. They got Joe Flacco starting for a good part of the season, so. Uh, the Texans, the Giants, the Falcons. Like, there are plenty of bad teams. Do I think the Bears are a playoff team? No, I don't. Maybe they backdoor their way into that seventh wildcard spot. I mean, if the last year's Bears could do it, anybody can. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's I I I I think they're like seven eight wins, seven eight wins. How about that? That's that's, that's good. No, that's actually you're hearing a lot of three wins and four. So seven is a is a that's a that's good right there. I'll take that. <laughs> no, you know what? I'm one of the few people that has said that there's a pathway for them to to sneak their way into the playoffs. So I'm with you on that. I can see seven wins just because I don't think they're nearly as bad as everybody thinks, and they're going to surprise some people just based off of that alone. They have they also have a super easy schedule. Yeah, it's not I mean, bad. last it's year, not here, bad. think about it this year, uh, this way. Last year, they were a six-win team with a very hard schedule. Do you think this year's team is that much worse from last year's team? No, no. I don't. I think the past – Defense has gotten much, much better. I think Justin Fields is going to be much, much better. Say what you will about the wide receivers. I don't think the wide receiver, wide receiver room last year was that great. No, yeah, you lost one guy who wasn't, who didn't seem like he wanted to be here. Who knows what that whole situation was, but yeah. I, I love the running attack. I think the running attack is going to be really strong. David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert backing him up. Tristan Ebner adds such an X factor. And Kari Blasengame, man. I wrote a story recently about how, like, Kari Blasengame might be the X factor. I'm not even kidding. It sounds crazy. But he's for real. And the fullback coming back in Chicago, you're going to feel that. What did, uh, oh, was it, was it either Eberflus or Getsy told, I think it was Eberflus that told us he's got the whole tree talking about Kari Blasengame. How many fullbacks are they talking about can run the full route tree? So, um, big, big, yeah. <laughs> no. Dude, Kari Bla- he's only what he's listed like six feet two forty something, but he's a big dude. And to see him move on the field is is unreal because he's got very smooth feet, very good hands, and like you said, the whole route tree. Okay, so so I think the Bears are actually a better team than they were last year. Or if not, they're even. Mm-hmm. And then you add in it's a much, much, much easier schedule. So if last year the floor was six wins. Why can't they win seven or eight this year? No, that's very – wow. That is a very anti-hot take take. I like that. <laughs> that actually might be kind of a hot take just because everybody else in the world thinks they're going to be so terrible. So who knows? Maybe I'm delusional. Who knows? That, that you wouldn't be the only one because I think there's a few people who will tell you that they're going to be able to sneak up on some. They'll get to three of the four just because they're better than those three or four teams. But then, like, the, they'll sneak up on somebody's, you know, fields will win a game for, by himself. The defense will get you one. Things happen in the NFL season. So, Alex Shapiro, thank you so much for, first of all, dealing with me and the technical difficulties, but also for taking the time out overall and uh, talking to us here on Triple Zeros. Tell everybody where they can follow you and find you. Well, first of all, Josh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, this was this was a blast, man. I had a great time. It's been awesome getting to know you at House Hall, so I'm really glad we were able to make this work. Um, you can follow me at, at Alex Shapiro NBCS. Uh, listen to me on the Undersetter podcast. My man Kenneth Davis is like the you're a you're a great host. No shade, you're a great podcast host. But I gotta go with my guy Kenneth Davis. Kenneth told me he had fun on my show, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very fun show. I get it. This is a very fun show. So yeah, there NBCSportsChicago.com, the My Teams app. 
that's pretty much it. But again, man, thanks thanks for having me. This is a blast. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit the Facebook page, Clocker Sports, website, ClockerSports.com, and the email address is ClockerSports at gmail.com. And, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at 30spod. That's the number, 30spod. And, of course, read the stuff, Last Word on Pro Football, uh, Heavy.com, Heavy on Bulls. I always try to do that. And then StoryDownSouth.com. And, of course, you can follow everything at ClockerSports.com. Until the very next time. First of all, I love that. Great intro.